The way people shop and buy financial products continues to transform because of technology. And these shifts in consumer behavior also create an abundance of new growth opportunities for financial brand leaders who transform their perspective about what future growth might look like and more importantly, where future growth might come from. That's why on today's episode of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast, we're going to explore how to find and unlock new growth opportunities for your bank, for your credit union, for your fintech. Greetings and hello, my name is James Robert Lay, and I'd like to welcome you to another episode of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series, and I'm excited to welcome Barry Kirby and Dave Berger to the show. Dave is the co-founder and CEO at Union Credit, while Barry is the co-founder and chief revenue officer. And now, Union Credit is the only exclusive offers as a service marketplace for credit unions. That's why today, we're going to explore how shifts in consumer behavior also creates an abundance of new growth opportunities for financial brand leaders who transform their perspective, who transform their thinking about where growth might come from. Welcome to the show, Dave and Barry. It is good to share time with you both. Dave, I I want to start with you. Um, Before we get into talking about these shifts in consumer behavior, what has been going well for you personally or professionally? It is your pick to always get started. Oh, boy. Personally or professionally? Well, personally, I'll, I'll touch on that. I, uh, I'm a, a father of three children, so uh, always keeping busy with that at home. Uh, that's going well, I'm happy to say. Um, professionally, uh, same. I mean, my, my career has been a, um, a fun ride. Started my career in the credit union space over 20 years ago, working for a credit union, and then uh, spent my uh, the next 15 years or so uh, founding a company called Cunexus, which we exited a few years ago, and and here we are on our third ride. So uh, I can't say that uh, I'm not anything but pleased with with the way things are going. Well, it's always about progress and, and and not perfection, particularly on an entrepreneurial journey. Barry, what about you? What's what's good in your world right now, personally or professionally, to get started on a positive note? Yeah. So personally, my kids are officially back in school as of yesterday. So that's a, a very high note because you would hear them in the background fighting right now. Um, and then professionally, I'm delighted to be part of the mission that you folks will hopefully learn about today with Union Credit. And I worked with Dave at QNexus before this, and we uh, have had a long ride and excited to continue the mission uh, for today's conversation for sure. Absolutely. And as I said before, you know, the way that people shop and the way that, that people buy financial products, it does continue to transform because of technology. I, I want to come back over to you, Dave. What are some of the big shifts that you've seen along the way that financial brand leaders need to be paying attention to, need to be thinking about when it comes to these consumer behavior shifts? Well, I mean, I, I always go back to the original iPhone is the has really the ground zero for what we've, you know, the the rapid shift in in a customer experience and uh, especially well in all industries, but as as well as financial services. Uh, yeah, 2007 was a while ago, but if you think about the change that's occurred since then, what 15 years, um, it's monumental, and uh, everything's moving to the to the phone to the digital experience. Um, consumer expectation continues to be 
uh, something that you know something that we focus on a lot is the instant gratification, um, but the safe use of data, um, the, uh, the security issues surrounding uh, all the technology plays these days. There's there's just a lot to to, to dig into. When, when you talk about this idea of instant gratification. Is that being driven from external expectations outside of traditional financial services? Think things like uh, Netflix. I, I know you mentioned three kids. I actually have four, so I always joke that my wife runs shipping and receiving at the house. We have get packages coming in almost every single day from Amazon. Is that starting to transform the expectations that people have around, say, maybe their, their money coming from external experiences? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think, again, it all it all started back in 2007, 2008, 2007, the phone iPhone came out. Right. But then 2008, the financial markets collapsed. And so while financial services was just struggling to stay afloat, all other industries were surging ahead and meeting this consumer expectation of of on demand. You could download your music, you could download your movies, you could you know, instantly uh, interact with brands in all sorts of ways. It, Cunexus, the first first company that I, I founded, um, we came out in about 2013, 2014. And that was, I think, really the first surge of, of fintech, at least enabling technology type fintech, right, where, where banks and credit unions were being able to start to refocus on, on growth. They had money to lend. Um, they had dollars to spend on technology. And so we saw a lot of spending coming out of that period. And, and a lot of uh, you know, catching up to do with other industries. It was all influenced by those other industries. Right now we're in this other sort of uh, post-COVID uh, kind of slow economy. I feel that this is the opportune time for institutions to retool. Right, the pendulum has a t- tendency to swing back and forth, and every time you know it's it's up on one side, you got to retool to get ready for the next surge of of uh, consumer expectations. So. Yeah, a lot of change happening right now, a lot of exciting tech being built, um, but it's all built on those expectations that are built from other other industries, influences from other industries. Absolutely. And, and technology, of course, is going to continue to transform consumer behavior moving forward into to the future. Once again, coming from all of these different verticals, it's going to create an abundance of new opportunities for specifically, and I think that's the key for financial brand leaders who continue to transform their perspective about where future growth might come from. I want to come over to you, Barry, this, this idea of perspective, I look at perspective as the, as the sum of context and framing, where are the opportunities now to really think about financial brand leaders continuing to transform perspective to, to be able to, to not just see these opportunities, but to create or even capture them going forward? Yeah, so from a perspective and kind of lens, and and obviously this is a little bit of armchair quarterback, but I mean, for example, embedded lending, which is a relatively newer term where embedded finance is is really not a new um, industry. In fact, it's called indirect auto lending. It's been around for about 25 years, and that is consumers want to buy a car, provide them the financial tool they need to acquire the actual vehicle they want. And that, in its essence, is embedded lending. That's embedded finance. And so I think understanding that that you saw that rise through the 90s and 2000s where credit unions were really latching heavily onto that to be that source of financing for those consumers. Now what we're seeing is that's bleeding into everything. That's bleeding into 
I'm inside of Amazon and I need to redeem a credit card to purchase this thing to check out. And so I think for leaders, it's really just looking around you and finding out are there there's these there are conveniences that do exist today. And is there an ability to digitize and expand on those conveniences? And how could you as a credit union or a community financial institution, how could you have an impact on that as well? Yes. They're all around us. They're the things we don't even know about right now are certainly out there kind of for that next phase. Absolutely. And and I think that's where when I look at kind of the the, the fintech space at a macro level um, and working with financial brand leadership teams or working with their boards and I ask them questions, you know, have, have you seen this or have you heard about this? And sometimes they say, yeah, I, I have actually. And I said, have you experienced it? Have you actually gone out and, and see what it feels like to go through that application process from the start to the beginning. They're like, no, no, we, we, we haven't done that. I said, that's your homework. Go forward to see what it feels like and then compare that experience, say maybe against where you, you're at today. And just let's have a conversation about the differences. And, and I think that's where, you know, when we look at this idea of perspective setting um, and capturing new opportunities, it's, it's often the mental transformation that creates the greatest value for financial brands when, when their mindset, uh, specifically of leaders, shifts uh, so that they are able to leverage, to truly fully leverage new technologies. Otherwise, um, we, we have this amazing technology, but the mindset and the mental models are rooted in the past, and that limits the future growth potential no matter how good the technology is. Dave, because you, you've gone through this exercise now a couple of times, I'm curious to get your take on this personally. Uh, w- what's a way that a, a financial brand leader can continue to transform their mindset so that they can navigate what I'm looking at right now is really a, a, a time period of exponential change when it comes to both technology as well as consumer behavior? How can a leader do this confidently as you've obviously done so over the past few years yourself going from these different brands and, and growing them um, forward into the future? Uh, um, you know, I think, I think it has to do with, uh, you know, paying attention to what, what the trends are in the market, paying attention to consumer behavior, paying attention to what's working, what's failing. I, I, an example I, I, I think of often is, is buy now, pay later, right? Buy now, pay later. Um, great concept, you know, and especially as it pertains to the idea of embedded finance or embedded lending, um, not without its flaws, right? Uh, we're talking about, buying, you know, basically, you know, Pelotons and e-bikes and things like that online with a, with a, with amounts to a high, high rate personal loan. And there, there was trouble spelled all over that from, if you really think about that from, from the get go, it was uh, easy access to expensive financing options uh, for folks who couldn't otherwise um, pay cash for these things. Um, you know, when the, when the economy t- turned, when rates started to rise, when interest rates, you know, the, the margins started to get squeezed, those business models started to fail. But, you know, those are the things we got to pay attention to because the the traction that, that it got when it was hot, and it's still, it's still you know, a, a hot topic, but um, was, was important, right? It, it showed, it was a proof of concept. It said consumers want access to finance financing at the point of purchase. And we see that. Yeah, it, going back to like PayPal and, and such, where where embedded transactional you know, um, capabilities are within that that purchase flow. 
So if I'm a financial leader um, and what I'm speaking specifically to bank credit union, you know, community lenders who are looking for new ways to compete, um, I need to pay attention to that. I need to find a way to get into that layer. Um, also, you know, what's working out in the fintech space? What, 10 years ago, when we talked about fintechs um, and, and not the enabling fintechs, but the competitor fintechs, the, the neobanks, the uh, um you know, the, the marketplace lenders and all these things that were coming online, everybody sort of scoffed at them, mm. thought they're, they're only going to take a small bite of this and they're all going to fail. Um, Barry has some interesting stats. I don't have them memorized. I'll let him chime in with those, but um, we were wrong, right? As an industry, we were, we were crazy wrong. These guys are, are eating our lunch now. And, uh, but what are they doing right? Right. You have to emulate that and you have to do something better than that. Well, the, um, that's the key. It's it's uh it's saying all right, it, it, admitting we were wrong. What are they doing? How the heck are they are they pulling this off? And how can I get into that that space? I appreciate that that thought, and it 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 has me excited because it you know requires we have to eat a little bit of of humble pie. Um, there was a study that was done by Viacom back in 2014, and one of the findings that came out of that study was. At the time, 70 to 80% of millennials, now you go back, uh, well, 2014, it was nine years ago, said 70 to 80% of millennials would be more excited about a financial product coming out of Google, Amazon, Apple, etc. Well, here we are now, nine years later, almost 10 now, and what came out of the Cornerstone Advisory Report, I saw Ron Shovelin recently report on this. I think it was like 47% of all new checking accounts opened in 2023 came from a NEO or from a digital bank. I know, Barry, you also recently posted something on LinkedIn as well, and, and, and I'm going to quote you on this. You said, I hope this doesn't ruffle too many feathers, but a reminder below. And then there's a visual between what's going on in the credit union world and then a logo of SoFi where membership at SoFi increased 44% in Q1 of 2023. And the, the average consumer age is 37 compared to that of the average credit union member age at 54. What's your take on this, Barry? Kind of just, you know, I think we've, we've, we got some hindsight now of where we've been. We saw some of the market research back there. Dave's point, we might have scoffed at that, but now, uh, now the truth is, is just the truth. What's your take on this, Barry? Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a huge uh, credit union advocate and continue to really believe in the mission that they serve, and that is they help the communities they're in. Um, and so... You know, really kind of what that posting was to do was to remind us as credit unions while we're and I, and I get all these things exist, but while we're focused on getting deposits and addressing liquidity and uh, shifting our credit card provider to this guy because we're going to get more efficiency out of it. These problems don't exist for financial leaders if in two years you have not addressed the fact that your membership is aging out. And so there's a very a good chance you could be completely irrelevant because if that same member is 56, 57, 58, if you've done what you are as a credit union, you've given them uh, financial security and they shouldn't need to loan from you then. So what are you going to do then? We're going to look back and we're going to go, wait a second, the 38-year-old doesn't even know who we are. They have no clue who we are. 
And so really what our, my call there was to, is the most opportune time to, to really refocus and, and basically just, again, from a top-down strategy is when there's chaos. Chaos is a ladder. Right now, SoFi is spending 52% of their revenue on marketing and customer acquisition. The average credit union spends 10.1% of their revenue on marketing and member acquisition. I mean, that's everything that we need to know as a, as a system that our competitor, by the way, we put SoFi in business as a credit union system. They used to sell us loans. Consumers got a SoFi loan. It let season for three days. We bought it. By the way, there's lots of those guys who exist today. And so it's all kind of ironic. And so again, it's not, I told you so type of mentality. It's it's embrace the fact that, you know, I, I would tell any financial leader, embrace the, the fail fast model, take risk. It's okay. I know we're in an industry where everything is a calculated risk and we use interest rates to focus that risk. But this is one area when it comes to acquiring another member, another consumer, take those risks. You really don't have a whole lot to lose because there's other folks out there that are willing to take the risk and potentially beat us up this game. It's very interesting how this is unfolding here. Um, Audrey and I, who is our operations lead, and she's a certified Colby consultant, uh, and we use Colby. If you're not familiar with that, Colby is, is it, it looks at the conative part of the mind. It's how you initiate action or solve problems. And when we look at the, we'll call it the, the banker's brain, if you will, the a traditional bank or credit union leader is going to initiate action or solve problems by fact finding or by following through building systems. On the opposite side of the spectrum, we'll call it the entrepreneurial mind. The typical entrepreneur uh, initiates action or solves problems by doing exactly what you're doing. It's, it's going out and figuring things out, quick starting, breaking things, learning very quickly of what doesn't work, what works, and then iterating through that. I want to come back to, Dave, what you were talking about, the, listening to the market, getting back in touch with the people. Um, how can someone who is listening to this conversation effectively do that? Um, because I was having a conversation recently with a leadership team, and it was almost like there was a disconnect uh, from what was going out in quote unquote the real world versus their perception of how they were perceiving things internally. It was almost like they were projecting their worldview on others. And I said, well, have, have we talked to this particular market segment based upon the problems that they were tr trying to solve? And they said, no, we, we actually haven't. I said, let's start there. But what's your take on getting back in touch with the people, if you will? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm always speaking in terms of uh, member acquisition because that's the world we live in, right? So, uh, you know, for, for example, um, you know, I, I think it, a lot of it's observing, right? And we do a lot of market research. We do user testing, consumer testing. We test, you know, we hypothesize, we, we create prototypes, we put them in front of a real world audience and we, we get their feedback. And half the time we find out that you know, the ideas we came up with were garbage and that they're looking for something else. So, so that's something that we do almost every single day. There are constant user tests and consumer tests going on with our product. But when it comes to the larger market, I think, you know, then it, that's really observing trends and, and observing your competition, right? Um, like for member acquisition, member acquisition strategy, when I started my career at the credit union, I was in marketing, right? And so we had the, we had 
newspaper ads, we had billboards, we had branch strategies, right? That's how you that's how you acquired members. You sponsored community events, you put your ad in the paper for your your best rate CD, and people walked into your branches. As long as you had a branch in convenient locations, right? That that strategy doesn't work anymore. Branching it branch strategy, I think, is important. I do think community institutions need to have um, branches available. I think that's a differentiator. But that's not where people are looking to start their relationship with you. They don't get up in the morning, decide they're going to get in the car, drive around branch to branch and try and find an institution they're going to work with. Yeah. They're online. They're, 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 they're on Google. They're searching. They're on these financial tools. They're within apps that are giving them other services, things like uh, the Credit Karmas, where they're in there checking their, their credit scores. They're being cross-sold products. That's where all this user um, and member acquisition is. You know, that's that's the next frontier in my mind. So it, it's just about observing those trends and and making sure that you have somebody at the institution, a research department that's constantly keeping their finger on the pulse of of what's happening out there. You know, where do we need to be? How do we attain whatever that goal might be, whether that's member acquisition, loan or deposit acquisition, what have you? Um, it, it's important to constantly research. When you're talking about this idea of acquisition, I'm looking at this from the lens, we'll just call it growth, member growth, uh, if you will. And this was the whole reason that I wrote the book Banking on Digital Growth to provide a blueprint and a path forward for financial brands to strategically execute against. I also appreciate the perspective around you're doing usability testing. Um, we do digital secret shopping on public facing websites because I've always made the argument that you could have the best online banking, you could have the best mobile banking platform, but if the initial shopping experience is complex or confusing, then we're going to lose that opportunity to bring them kind of behind the scenes. And so it's this idea, and I wrote about this in Banking on Digital Growth, we have to go all in on people. And all is an acronym to where we get really good asking really good questions. We learn from what they are sharing with us. And then most importantly, we learn through observation. It's this idea because what people say and then what people do sometimes doesn't always match up. And it's the observations that actually sometimes provide the greatest insights. I want to transition here just a bit and, and, and look out now towards the future because I do see a future. I do see future opportunities for financial brands participating in digital loan marketplaces that provide, we'll call them credit worthy people, credit worthy consumers. Uh, offers one click uh, to, to get what they're looking for, very similar to the, an Amazon-esque experience. For someone who is listening or who is watching, let's break down the differences. But in, And you touched on indirect before, kind of that, that past context. What's the difference between, say, a digital loan marketplace and that of indirect lending? How How are these two things different, Dave? Well, there's certainly similarities, right? An indirect lending mark, uh, program is going to be presenting to the finance guy at a car dealership multiple loan options that they can use to back their customer into you know, whatever package deal they're trying to put together. But it really works um, mostly you know, to the benefit of the finance person at the dealership, right? Um, the, the, there, there's still that screen. The screen's turned around in front of the consumer. They don't see... Mm. what the finance person sees. Um, 
in a in a consumer facing marketplace, it's all out there, right? It's the consumer the consumers in the driver's seat. So, you know, what we've done at, at Union Credit has has certain similarities to indirect lending, but but it's really consumer focused. Our mission here is to get the best products in the hands of the consumer. Period, right? And we believe strongly that credit unions um, are the ones with the, the those products, the best consumer uh, loans, deposit products that are out there. There there are others, you know, digital um, lenders and such that have low rates, but they can't offer the the um, the community-based service. I believe people want to bank locally if given the chance. All things are equal. Um, but with credit unions in particular, you have a whole array of consumer loan products, right, that they offer. That that's, their, that's what they specialize in. So you have the personal loans and the credit cards, but you also have home equity loans, vehicle loans of all types. Um, so they have the products to, oops, lights just went out. Uh, they have the products to, um, you know, to offer and they have the low rates that the consumers are looking for. So for us, getting credit unions into a marketplace with national natu- national reach uh, is the, the best way to get them you know, in the game with some of the fintechs that are out there um, taking all the market share right now. That's a great point. Getting them into a marketplace with nas- national reach, more opportunities going forward. I want to come over to you, Barry, because what's the flip side of this when, when it comes to uh, digital loan marketplaces? What's What might be a, a misconception that financial brand leaders have that this misconception they have around digital loan marketplaces could, in fact, be holding them back from creating or capturing future growth opportunities? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the, the a lot of the pushback I've heard from from financial leaders is, well, when the consumer or the new member selects us, um, what do we do then? And what does our back operations do? Like, how do we? What should we do? And it's the real question is, isn't that the best problem to have right then? You've got a consumer who has selected your brand, not the F and I, the brand that they chose to present. They chose your brand. They want to work with your institution. And now the question we're asking is, what do I do with them? Like, at what point do we realize that maybe we've lost a little bit of focus on that efficiency is great. I get we all want to be the most efficient. We want to be super tech savvy. But the thing that makes uh, community financial institutions unique is the fact that they actually uh, value that relationship. How about just call the person and say, congratulations, I'd love to help walk you through this process. There's an idea, a phone call. I know it sounds weird, or you can just build another branch. I mean, you guys pick it. I was telling um, a, actually a credit union this morning, I was, I was telling him, maybe he's like, he's telling me he's really focused on addressing his local community. I said, that's wonderful, Chris. I said, you really should be doing that. I love your, your approach on this. I said, Here's the fact of the matter, though, your local community, even if there's a non-member sitting outside of your branch on a bench that are on their phone, how are you going to reach them? Because to reach inside of their phone, you need a national distribution marketing strategy. And by the way, if you go right now in Google, bank or credit union or whatever credit card in your market, it's the too big to, to fail banks and fintechs that you're going to see. So the ironic thing is in the financial services world, you have Amazon over here who has basically democratized access from a consumer's perspective to purchase any item you want on Amazon from any retailer. I just looked up on Amazon butter knives. There's 248 pages of retailers to sell me a butter knife. Now, if I go on Google and I type in credit card, 
you're going to see the same five names you always see. So the real question for the for that leader this morning was, how are you going to reach in that phone and educate the person who's sitting outside of your branch who has no idea who you are? They don't care about your fancy website because they're never going to find your site. So how are you going to reach in their phone and say, hey, by the way, here I am. I want to talk to you. You know, what you just shared is so practical. Um, pick up the phone, give them a call, tell them thank you. Yeah. It's it's almost like the idea we've forgotten that this is still a human-centric game. This is still, I mean, if you come back to, and, and I appreciate your perspective on, on, on credit unions because the whole idea of, of what drives credit union growth is people helping people. Um, it's just the way, and I think this is the big mental transformation is just the way that credit unions can help people. That's what's transformed. The mission stays the same. It's just the way that we connect and provide and create that value. And it's a blend. It's not necessarily hundred percent digital. It's also not hundred percent physical or in person anymore. It's, it's finding that healthy blend, but there's a great way to provide the differentiation when everyone else is 100% pure play digital, you pick up the phone and just say, thank you. Thank you for picking us. Because I think Dave, back to your point, people are in control. They're in the driver's seat and, and it changes the entire game. And I guess that's where, you know, when we're looking at these future growth opportunities, um, uh, money is, is very confusing. It's very complex. It has a, you know, coming back to the idea of user testing or digital secret shopping, money finances has an extremely high cognitive load inherently. Um, and I think anything that we can do to reduce that, some of those negative feelings around money, because, you know, this idea of, of money financial confidence, um, there's a, there's a strong relationship between confidence and clicks and conversions when it comes to digital engagement, when it comes to experience. I'm curious to get your take on this, Dave. How, how can, thinking about some of the challenges that, that Barry shared here, how can financial brands continue to increase the confidence that people have in an otherwise confusing and chaotic time? Hmm. Well, I think it's it's about being focused on the consumer's needs, not on your own needs. I actually, I, I heard you talk about that in a, in a recent um, uh, talk on stage that you did. And it was, it was fantastic, but it's, you know, what is this, what is, what is the consumer need? What does my customer really want versus what are my strategic goals right now? You know, if, if we need loans as an institution, are we just shoving loans down the throats of our, our, our members or when they really need to, you know, to a high yield deposit product, or they're looking for insurance or something like that. So it's, it's listening to and tailoring the conversation to the needs of the consumer, focusing on their needs. I think that builds trust and trust is key to building relationships long-term. I, the, the idea of a primary financial institution or a um, brand loyalty is unfortunately kind of long gone, right? There were, there was a day where you had maybe one or two cards in your wallet or one or two banking relationships. Um, that's, that doesn't happen anymore. People are loyal to the best product for their needs at the time when they need it and whoever's going to be in front of them with that product. But what we can do is try to rebuild that trust through, um, through you know, the efforts, especially I think that consumer 
um, financial institutions, community institutions and credit unions have a history of service to their customers, but also their communities. Yes. So we have to play the cards that, uh, that, that we have that are, that the others don't, the, the big fintechs that are out there, they have marketing dollars, right? They'll throw endless dollars at, at their experience. Everyone's going to automate everything at some point, right? That won't be the, uh, you know, the, the instant gratification won't be the, um, the differentiator for long. What they have is marketing dollars. What we have is service and human focused um, interactions. So, you know, that's what we need to double down on. Um, Barry and I and Union Credit, I mean, we're trying to level the playing field in the distribution side of things. Um, I do believe that credit unions as a whole can, you know, pool their resources together to, to uh, you know, be a competitive force in the national distribution front. They can't do it alone. No, no one credit union can compete with any of the large banks from a marketing spend or a distribution strategy. But, um, but as a group, if we band together, there's that, uh, there's that, you know, that you know, community focus as an, as a industry, the uh, union credit is credit union backwards, right? We have, everybody knows that, but our whole idea is that we are unionizing credit unions so that they can take their better products and services out to the masses Right. In the same way that they do that internally, they're banding together their members to better serve each other. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's really what it boils down to is, is using your strengths, playing on your strengths and really, really focusing on the consumer and their needs and building the trust. Yeah, it does come down to giving what I say. People are looking for two things. They're looking for help and they're looking for hope and hope for many people ha has to come just the hope that things can be better than where they're at today. And by providing people with an offer in a marketplace does give them hope uh, for sure. I want to come back over to you since we're on this barrier, since we're on the subject of, of, of help and hope, but more specifically hope. What are you feeling most hopeful about um, when it comes to the future of, of community financial brands like credit unions to continue to attract the next generation of, of members? Um, so I guess the things I'm hopeful for and the things that I see actually them embracing now is I start to hear conversations. I had a conversation with a CEO with a large credit union in Ohio who said, We've actually changed our whole board strategic meeting in October. We're going to start, we're not going to talk about deposits. We're not talking about our scorecards. We're going to talk about how do we acquire the future member? Mm. And I was like, okay, now look at you. Like, good for you. Like, has nothing to do with me and union credit. I'm just glad to see that you are putting thought into the seeing, you know, basically the, the forest, not just seeing the trees in, you know, in front of you. And I'm, I love the fact that, I mean, we all know in the, especially in the community financial institutions, these, these financial brands leaders, they can certainly go get jobs at much larger banks and fintechs and make a lot more money. And they're easily just as qualified and could run the show, but they, they choose to work at community financial institutions leading that helm. So they're doing that for a reason. And it's not because they're gluttons for punishment. They're doing it because they actually care. And they're involved in those communities. They have kids there. They have kids who play soccer or go to school there. They go to church here, whatever it is. So I'm hopeful because these actually affect their lives and their families and they want to make a difference. And to your earlier point about kind of the difference between the banker brain versus, say, the entrepreneur brain, 
that that emotion of wanting to take care of the things around you uh, is part of that frontal lobe of the EQ, which is very that tends to be non, you know, that's that kind of breakup in the in the brain that you're talking about. And that gives me hope because that is in, the EQ piece of this can really extend uh, community financial institutions above and beyond. I was thinking about this, this one thing while you were talking here about how can big credit unions and, and community institutions cut through the clutter is what I heard you saying and, and really reach consumers. And I remember in my, this college course, they, I wrote a thesis on why Avis was kicking the crap out of Hertz. And this is in the late nineties because their marketing message was we're number two and therefore we try harder. And I was like, man, how cool would that be if community financial institution just said, hey, we're number two, therefore we try harder. And, and maybe the CEO is going to call you on the phone and say, thank you for choosing us. Like, that's the stuff that gets me excited you, and keeps us moving. You, you just struck a nerve uh, with me on this personally, because I remember I was in eighth grade uh, and my basketball coach told me, Coach Boudreaux, he told me, son, JR is what he called me, JR Lay. JR, you're never going to play varsity basketball. And I wasn't the, the fastest, couldn't obviously jump the highest, but I, I put a thought in my mind that, you know what? I'm not just going to play varsity basketball. I'm going to be the captain And as I was an eighth grader. I wasn't number one. I wasn't even number two. But let me tell you, man, I tried, and I, I was the first one in the gym. I was the last one out. I put weight on. I worked hard, and I did make varsity captain and got some college recruiting offers. So I appreciate that perspective very much so. And and as we start to wrap up here, you know, you, you touched on this idea of EQ, emotional intelligence. And I've been thinking about this through the lens of DEQ, so digital emotional intelligence. Um, and when you take – EQ and you combine it with AQ, so your adaptability quotient, that's a very powerful transformative force that can lead to growth. And and I always want to wrap up with just a very practical next step that someone who is listening, someone who is watching can take on their own journey of growth to apply what we've talked about here today. Because all future growth begins with a very small, simple commitment right now in the present moment to then go for it and create the future state. So Dave, let's come back over to you as, as we wrap up. What would be the one small recommendation you would take to move forward with courage and confidence? Well, it's funny that you know, your story um, about the basketball team really resonates with me as an entrepreneur, because that is, you know, the journey that I was on early on. Um, yeah. I, and I think it comes down to believing in something um, and a, and focusing on that thing. And, uh, you know, and, and the constant belief that you can achieve your goal, you will, I mean, it's a mindset. So, you know, I, all odds were against me when I started my, my first company, I knew nothing about software. I knew nothing about running a business. Um, you know, all the, the different facets of, you know, building a company, I was clueless, but I did believe that my idea had merit. And, um, and then it's just, it's, it's looking at that next milestone. What are the next two, three hurdles in front of me and figuring out how to get over those hurdles. And if you just keep, keep applying yourself, keep focused, keep jumping over one hurdle at a time, eventually you'll get there. Or at least you'll realize at some point that maybe you were wrong, but failures is okay. Yes. But not trying is, is the thing that's, you know, that's, that's what you'll carry with you. The rest of your life is the, uh, 
is the knowledge that you, you, you had, you were onto something, but you didn't try. So, um, yeah, that's. And, and that's where, when you look at the obstacle, there's some stoic wisdom from Marcus Aurelius here, where Marcus looks at the obstacle is the way. The, the, the impediment to action is the path to action. What stands in the way becomes the way. And when you look at obstacles, when you look at roadblocks, not as that's the end of the road, it's a dead end. You look at that, ah, that's a new opportunity. It's a simple shift in mindset. Barry, what about you? What would be your recommendation for someone who is listening, a financial brand leader, that they can continue down their path for growth to, to, to apply what we've been talking about here today? Something small. Yeah, so mine's uh, very, very tangible, not nearly as deep as Dave's. But I mean, I had this conversation with a close friend of mine, Troy, he runs a credit union, and we were talking, this is probably a year ago, I was, we were talking about the where union credit was going to go, and I was telling him about this idea that we have, and he's like, you, you may be onto something, and I was like, and it just dawned on me, I was like, Troy, you know, your son is 15. I was like, why don't you ask your son, when you pick him up for basketball, mm. ask him how he would buy a car. And he's like, dude, I've never even thought remotely about asking that question. I was like, wouldn't it just be fascinating to hear? Yeah. Because his son in three to four years is the next consumer that he wants to, to have as a member. And it was like, should we figure out like how he would buy a car? Because like credit union land, like that's the first thing you want to do, give him a credit card or buy a car. And he was like, this is fascinating. He's like, I've never thought about this. And like, that's a super easy thing we can do. Just ask somebody else. How would you go about doing this? And then I think what you're going to find is it's radically different from what you are talking about in your boardroom or in your ALCO meetings and everything that you're doing right now. It's going to be completely different from what you're seeing right now. You know, that's such a tangible takeaway. Uh, Dave, deep, ethereal, full, philosophical. I appreciate and connect with that. But, but Barry, I, I like your take too, because it comes back to what I was mentioning before, going all in on people. Just find someone, ask them a really good question about the future from their perception, listen to what they have to say, and then identify some pattern matching by learning through observation. What a great conversation, Dave and Barry. I appreciate you both. What's the best way for someone to connect with you to continue the conversation that we've started here? What about you, Dave? Um, well, obviously you can, you can find our, us on our website um, or connect with us on LinkedIn. Um, we're very active on there and uh, we'd love to, to talk to you. Yes. And, and Barry, you're always posting good stuff Challenging thoughts, too, on LinkedIn, so connect with Barry there as well. Dave, Barry, thanks for joining me for another episode of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. This has been a lot of fun today. Thank you. As always, and until next time, be well, do good, be the light. <laughs>